all over my life. All over my life, all over my life. The evidence is endless. awake has has it been that long and hard of a week already my goodness man well hey at least you're a little over halfway through it now does anybody need a bible tonight if you need one mr Corey is is very very eagerly holding them waiting for you to come grab one if you don't have one we are going to use those tonight can y'all tell me what book we've been studying who said john no, First John. It's right there on the screen. First John. All right. So we've been walking through this book, and tonight we're gonna we're gonna keep going. We're right in the middle of chapter three. Um, and what we do, if you've been here before, you know, every single week when we study a book, there's certain questions that I ask because when we study a book, we need to know certain basic things about that book, who wrote it, why they wrote it, who they're writing it to, because all of those give us a context of what we're reading so we know what's going on here. So if you don't know the answers to the questions, that's okay. Just listen along with everybody, and that way when you come back next week, you'll know some of the answers. So let's start. I've already asked you an easy one. What book are we studying? All right, there we go. You got it right that time. So who wrote this book? 
Supposedly John, yeah, that's right. Actually, this book, this book's actually anonymous. There is no, no pen, nobody signed their name to it. But because of the style of writing and the phrases that we see there, the theology that's throughout the book, it's very similar to all of the other books that John wrote. So it's credited to John. What are the other four books that we believe he wrote? Revelation, Second John, Third John, and John. That's exactly right. So it's pretty simple. We know what's going on there. When do we believe that this book was written? Yeah, somewhere around 90 to 95 AD. For those of you who typically say a long time ago, you're right, more specifically, 90 to 95 AD. Who was this written to? The people. The people, the, the church. This is, hey, this is written to Christians. This is written to people who, who probably, they weren't sitting in a church like you are right now. Most of them were probably meeting in a home, and it may not have been as big of a group, but it was written to the church, people who said they were disciples of Jesus, who were following him. And do you remember what the main idea of this book is? Remember, there's actually three of them. What are they? Truth, obedience, and love. That's exactly right. As we've walked through this book so far, we've seen those ideas come up over and over. In fact, tonight, the main thing we're going to see is we're going to see that John focuses on love. And why did he write this book? To warn and encourage. To warn about false teachers who were coming in and they were teaching things, they, they were taking scripture and twisting it so that it, it sounded like the gospel of Jesus, it sounded like scripture, but then they would add and change things so they were teaching a false gospel. So he wrote this to the believers to say, hey, pay attention to what you're hearing and make sure it lines up with what you know to be true. You need to be careful. But he also wrote it to encourage them, to help them understand who God had called them to be and the way God had called them to live out their faith on a daily basis. And that's exactly what he's talking about tonight as we get into this next part of John chapter 3. In fact, we're going to do, or excuse me, 1 John 3, we're going to do verses 11 through 18. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. And I'm going to ask Mr. Brenton Hall to come up here and read our passage tonight. Come on up here, Brenton. There we go. Perfect. We got it. Take it away, Brenton. Awesome. Love one another, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. 18. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Dear Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for our many blessings, Lord. I thank you for allowing us to be here and under your word, Lord, and for our church leaders and teachers, Lord. And I just ask that you um, you speak through them to us, Lord, and help us to, to gain from it and apply it to our lives, Lord. Uh, thank you for allowing us to be here in fellowship with each other and, and under your word. It's your only name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, Brenton. Y'all going to have a seat. I'm so proud of you that you can read. You did an awesome job. 
you're doing it. You're such a big boy. I like it. Thank you. <laughs> hey, so I don't know if you guys counted, but that word love, John used it six times in those verses that we just heard. Six different times walking through those, he refers to that word, but he's not really using that word in the way that we use that word a lot of times. A lot of times when we use that word, what kind of love are we talking about? Who said romantic? Yeah, we're talking about romantic love. We're talking about, oh, I love this person. I love the way they make me feel. I love their eyes. I love their hair. I love everything about them because of how they make me feel. That's the way we talk about love a lot of times. Or here's the other way we talk about it. And I've heard some of you do this. When you start talking about the foods that you love. Yeah, there's a lot of agreement there. There's a lot of agreement there. You know, like, like I love pizza. Or how about this one? I love chocolate cake. Yeah, there's a couple of you. You're on board with that one. But that's, that's quite often how we tend to use that word love. It's about things or it's about people that that make us feel good. It's about things that, that make our lives better than what we think they are. But that's not exactly the way John is using that word as you walk through this passage. What we do is we, or what we see here is we see John using this word love in reference to how it benefits somebody else's life. He's not saying, hey, believers, you need love because of everything it's going to do for you. He's saying you, disciples, followers of Jesus, you need to love because it's supposed to play out in other people's lives. You're supposed to show them love. And he's not just talking about anybody. He's talking specifically about other believers. He's saying, church, you're supposed to love the rest of the church. You're supposed to love other people. Let's bring that into our context. It's youth group. You're supposed to love the other teenagers that are sitting around you right now. The people who say that they also follow Jesus. That's what we're called to do, and that's what John's talking about right here, because what he's saying is that if you and I claim to be disciples, when it comes to other people, especially other believers in our lives, love is not an option. Think about that for a second. I've heard this said many times, somebody fell in love, right? You fell in love. You just couldn't help it. There's a guy that I used to go to church with, and his, his favorite quote was, you don't fall in love, you fall in a ditch. You choose who you love. Now, there may be somebody that makes you feel good and makes you feel special, but you choose to give them your time. You choose to give them your attention. You choose who you love. And yet what John is saying right here, when it comes to believers, that choice is not an option for us. If you say that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then you have to love other believers because it's what we're called to do. Look at what he says right here in verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. He says, this is not a new thing that you're hearing. It's kind of like, how many of you right now, don't say it, but raise your hand, if you can think of a phrase that you have heard your parents say over and over and over your entire life. Raise your hand. Okay, if I asked you, don't do it. I could probably, you could, you could quote it if I asked you to, but I don't want you to. But that's kind of what John is saying right here. He's saying, hey, what you're hearing right now, this message I'm telling you about loving others, it's not new. You've heard it. From the moment you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, you knew what love was. You knew what love looks like. And you've heard it over and over and over. And he's writing here, he's saying, I'm telling it to you again. 
He's reminding them of a message that is not new to them. And it's Jesus himself that set the expectation for his followers. Jesus is the one that says you have to love other people. Look at uh, John 13, verse 34. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. This is Jesus talking to his disciples, those 12 guys and the other people that were following him. The commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. See, Jesus helped his disciples right then and there understand, if you want the world to know who you are, if you want them to know that you're following me, they're going to know it by the way that you love each other. Not the way that you follow me, but by the way that you love each other as disciples. And the same thing holds true for us. We, we live in a world right now that, that the majority of the world doesn't know Jesus. There's a lot of Christians out there. There's a lot of people that claim to be Christians out there. But the worldview that we live in doesn't know Jesus. That's why scripture keeps referring to it as the world over and over. Because it's a worldview that is set against who God is. And the only way they will know that you are truly following Jesus is by the way that you love the other followers of Jesus. Guys, we live in a world that's at odds with each other. And sadly, quite often, churches are at odds with each other. Can't get the words out. At odds with, with each other. Churches are notorious for fighting amongst themselves. I've seen and heard of churches that split up over the color of carpet because they couldn't get along. You'd be amazed at what church people fight over. So why would anybody outside the church look at that and say, I want to be a part of that? They, they can't even decide what color carpet they want. That's why John says, no, you have to love each other. It's not an option. Those personal preferences that you have, those grudges that you hold against people that are around you, maybe they insulted you, maybe they made fun of you, maybe they just get on your nerves and we treat them like we don't like them at all. John is saying, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus and they claim to be a follower of Jesus, you have to love each other. It's not an option. And as we walk through this, we see that there's reasons for that. It's an intentional choice that we have to make to, to love other followers of Jesus because that is what Jesus has done in our lives. He's chosen to show us love when we don't deserve love. He's chosen to show us love when we've done everything against who he is. We are not holy. We are not righteous. Our minds are not set on the things of God before he draws us to himself and forgives us of our sin. And he gives us love that we don't deserve. There's other believers. There may be people in this room tonight that you look at them and think, you better stay away from me. And yet what John says right here is you have to choose to love them because that's what Jesus has done in your life. And it's not only beneficial in their life, you find out really quickly, starting in verse 12, that when you choose to love and you don't let love be an option when it comes to other believers, you find out very quickly that love protects your heart too. It's a benefit in their life, but love protects your heart. Look at verse 12. He says, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. 
So John is going back to the Old Testament here. He's going all the way back to the book of Genesis. He's referring to these two brothers, Cain and Abel. If you don't know who they are, God created Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve sinned. Uh, they suffered the consequences of that. And then they started to have a family. And their two sons were Cain and Abel. And they had two different professions. Scripture tells us that Cain was a, was a, uh, excuse me, a farmer and Abel worked with livestock. And there was a point in time where they both brought an offering to God, the, the first fruits of, of what they had the, as an offering to God. And the problem is when they made that offering, it wasn't received the same way from both of them. In fact, let me, I'm not going to summarize it for you. Let me read it for you. Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. You see, what we see right here is we see Cain's heart revealed in his response to God and his actions towards his brother. What we see is that he treated love as an option with his brother, and by doing so, bitterness and hate took root in his heart. And that grew until it became an action where he murdered his own brother. Cain chose not to pursue love for his brother like he should have. And that choice let that bitterness fester in his heart. And that resulted in taking his brother's life. When you make the choice to love, you make the choice to protect your own heart from bitterness and resentment. Think about that for a second. When you make the choice to love, you are protecting your own heart from bitterness and resentment. And I know that's not an easy choice to make sometimes because people are not always easy to love. There are people, if you haven't experienced this yet, I hope you never do, but you may, there's gonna be people that hurt you. There's gonna be people that say unkind things. There's gonna be people that do unkind things and you're not going to want to show them love. But we still have to because when we do, we're not only benefiting their lives, but we're protecting our own hearts. We're stopping that bitterness and that hate from taking root and growing and looking at people in a way that God never intended us for, to look at people. And then John continues in the next verse. He says, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. John's focusing on the fact here that disciples are supposed to look different. If you say you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then your life is supposed to look different. It's not supposed to look like people who don't know Jesus. We talked about it a minute ago. This world, this system of, relief, of belief, this worldview where people don't understand and don't want to follow who God is, you can't be shocked when those people who don't follow Jesus have a problem with you. You can't be surprised. 
Because when we look at Scripture, we see over and over, you need to expect them to hate you. I mean, they hated Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? I hope so. You got a world, Jesus came in and Jesus told people, this is who I am. I am God in the flesh. And they killed him for it. In fact, there was one situation where Jesus, in uh, Luke chapter 4, Jesus was teaching in a synagogue, a church in his hometown, and Jesus got up and Jesus began to read Scripture, and the Scripture was about the coming Messiah, and as Jesus got done reading, he told them, he said, everything that I've just read has been fulfilled in your presence today. Right then and there, Jesus said, I am the Messiah, and people lost their minds In his own hometown, Scripture tells us in Luke chapter 4, verse 28, it says, When they heard these things, all in the synagogue synagogue were filled with wrath. Jesus stood there and said, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Savior. I'm the one you've been waiting on. And everybody who was listening got angry at him. It says in verse 29, And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. They got so angry in that instance, they were going to kill him. And eventually they did. But, but if the people who could see Jesus right there, touch him, hear him, know who he was, standing right in front of them, if they could look at him and still not believe in him, then why do we expect a world who can't see Jesus unless they see Jesus through us to believe in him? We can't be surprised when people mock us, ridicule us, all of those things. We've got to understand that the world did not love Jesus, and yet Jesus still died because of his love for the world, for everyone that would put their faith and trust in him. And we have to choose to show that same kind of love. And when you choose to do that, you show that you belong to Jesus. Look at what 1 John three fourteen says. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Love is what makes us different from people that don't believe in Jesus. People who don't follow Jesus. People who haven't put their faith and trust in Jesus. We love because Jesus has first loved us. And that kind of love is unnatural for you and me. To be willing to love people even when they hurt us. To be willing to love people even when they do things that we don't feel like forgiving, that's unnatural for us. We get upset. We get our feelings hurt. We get our pride hurt. And we want to respond. Typically, we respond in one of two ways. Either we pull back and we don't want to be around them at all, or we blow up and we go off on them. But what he's telling us here is you can't do either one. You've got to love them. And this is where John makes that profound statement. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Your love for other disciples of Jesus is proof of your salvation. We know that because you and I are incapable of loving people the way Jesus calls us to love people. We may be able to get close for a time, but you give yourself long enough and somebody is going to make you angry. Somebody is going to ruin your day. And you're going to want to do something about it. But scripture says right here, 
they will know that we belong to Jesus because of our love for each other. That kind of love only happens through the supernatural work of God in your life because it's unnatural for us. And then he goes on in verse 15, he says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, is murder wrong? Yeah. Are most of you unsure? Is murder wrong? Yes, I saw one head shaking no. We'll talk after church tonight. Um, <laughs> murder's wrong. We know it's wrong. Guys, we can go all the way back to Exodus chapter 20. God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, he says, You shall not murder. It's wrong. It's been wrong from the beginning. It's wrong now. We just saw it with Cain and Abel. But John takes this idea and he moves it from an outward action to an inward motivation. He doesn't just say, hey, murder's wrong. You shouldn't kill somebody. John says that if you hate somebody, that's the same as murdering them. If you have those thoughts and feelings in your heart, you might as well take their life. That's what he's talking about right here. But he didn't come up with that. Jesus said that first. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, you've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. He says, if you hate somebody, it's the same as taking their life. And that's not what we're called to do. That's why choosing to love others the way Christ loves is so critical in our lives. Because love protects your heart. Love stops bitterness from taking root in your heart. Love prevents wounded pride and unfulfilled expectations and the way they treated me and what they said to me and the way they embarrassed me. And it takes all of that and it stops it from turning into bitterness and anger. Cain's sacrifice was unacceptable to God. It's not because he didn't do his sacrifice the right way. It's not because he didn't bring the right thing. You can read through the book of Leviticus later where God lays out all the sacrificial guidelines and rules and he brought what was acceptable to God. What was not acceptable was the state of his heart because of his hate for his brother. When you choose to love, it protects your heart. And then we see here that love is not an option. Love protects your heart, but love also requires action. 1 John 3.16. I don't know if John did this on purpose. We have John 3.16, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. 1 John 3.16, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. You see the gospel play out in both of those verses. This is the ultimate display of love. It's the display of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He laid down his life for us. Sinners, every single one of us, each one of us choosing to pursue our own desires, our own glory, anything but God. Scripture tells us that before we understand who Jesus is, before we surrender our life to him, that our minds are enemies of God. 
And you may think, you know what? I've never thought of God as an enemy. Well, before you put your faith and trust in him, scripture says you were. If you haven't put your faith and trust in him yet, scripture says you are right now. And we are that unworthy of his love. And yet he loved us. He laid down his life for you and I on the cross. He took the pain. He took the humiliation. He took the consequences of our sin that we deserved. And he took it upon himself because he loved. That kind of love places the ultimate need of someone else over your own. That's why he says we need to be willing to have that same kind of love for people. That kind of love brings benefit to the life of someone who doesn't deserve it and cannot do anything to earn it. That's what it looks like to love. Sacrificial love. You get a glimpse of it, many of you, through your parents. Not all parents, but many. Because they do things for you, and you have no idea they do them. They do things because of their love for you. They sacrifice their time. They sacrifice their resource. They sacrifice who they are because they love you. And that's just a small picture of what Jesus has done for us. But he's saying right here, you can't say you follow Jesus, but you hate other followers of Jesus. Put it to you this way. You can't hate what Jesus died to redeem. If Jesus loved another follower of him, how can you hate that person? If Jesus, who took on the punishment for that person's sin, who has every right to take that out on that person, if Jesus laid down his life and showed love, what right do you and I have to hold bitterness and hate in our heart for another follower of Jesus? That's what John is talking about right here. And then he goes on in verse 17. He says, If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? He says, Help those who need help. If you say you love somebody, it requires action. If you've got the ability, you see another believer, somebody that needs help, and you can help them, help them. Sometimes you can help them physically. Sometimes you can help them with money. Sometimes you can help them with some other problem. Sometimes you just need to pray for them. Sometimes you just need to sit there and listen and let them talk. But love requires action. There was a song, I'm old, back in the 90s. And one of the lines of that song was, love isn't love until you give it away. You can say you love somebody all day long, but until you do something, with that love in their life, it's not really love. Love isn't love until you give it away. There's one author that wrote this. He says, it's easier to be enthusiastic about humanity with a capital H than it is to love individual men and women, especially those who are uninteresting, exasperating, depraved, and otherwise unattractive. Loving everybody in general may be an excuse for loving nobody in particular. Sometimes we do that in the church. We say we need to love everybody. And we say, yes, God loved me, I love everybody. But then we never back up that love with any kind of action. It's gotta be real in people's lives. You've got to get involved in people's lives. You've got to show that love to other people, especially other believers. Love requires 
action. And he goes on here, and in verse 18, at the end of the section, he says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. (laughs) So a question I have for you tonight is this. Have you made love for other followers of Jesus optional in your life? Think about that for a second. Are there people in this church or even in this room that you have a problem with? Have you made love optional with other believers in your life? Because what John says right here tonight in Scripture is that loving them is not optional. You have to love them. Why? Because Jesus loved you when he didn't have to. And if you say you follow Jesus, you've got to put that into action and you've got to show other people you love them because God has redeemed them and you can't hate what Jesus died to redeem. Loving them protects your heart. Loving them requires actions, helping them, praying for them, letting them know in some tangible way that they are loved by God and they are loved by you. And tonight, maybe you need to step out and take action. And this is gonna be really uncomfortable if you decide to do this. But you may have somebody in this room tonight that you've got a problem with. Somebody that you know is a follower of Jesus the same way you are. And yet there's an issue there. There's love that's not shown. Maybe you need to step out tonight and take action. Maybe you need to show someone that you love them, not because of who they are, because of who Christ is in them. That's what we're called to do. Maybe you step out. Maybe you go to them. Maybe you ask them how you can pray for them. And then you pray for them right then and right there and blow their minds that you would be willing to take that step. But that's what we're called to do. This takes courage and this takes risk. Anytime you say, I'm going to show love to someone, you risk being rejected. Anytime you do that. But as believers, Scripture calls us to never reject other believers that are showing love. Tells us that's what we're supposed to do. Jesus didn't call any of us to a life of fear and safety. He called us to love each other and to put that love into practice. And that's my question for you tonight. Are you making love optional in your life? Because if you are, you're not protecting your own heart. Because if you let love be optional, then other things can get in here. And you start to hate people. And John says, if you hate them, you might as well take their life. So you need to love them. You need to go to them. You need to talk to them. You need to love them. That's who Christ has called us to be as disciples and followers of him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. And we thank you that we can come together again, God. We thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. God, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. God, for showing us what love looks like. Because our tendency, our natural inclination is not to lay down our lives for anybody. But God, you work in and through us and you show us what love looks like. God, help us to be loving and show your love to the other people in our lives, especially the other believers, even right here in this room tonight. God, if there's anybody in here tonight that doesn't know your love, 
that has never experienced what it feels like to be loved unconditionally, no matter what, God, I pray that you will help them trust you tonight, to ask you to forgive them of their sin, to put their faith and trust in you and to follow you, Lord, and to know what it's like to be held in your hands from now and for eternity. And God, I pray for every single person in this room If there's anybody in here tonight that has a problem with a brother or sister that's in here, if there's hurt, if there's anger, if there's bitterness, God, give them the courage right now to take that step to go make that right. God, to show the love that you call us to show to each other. Help us to love the way that you love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Stop this.